Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joined today, he's an Olympic gold medalist, world champion, founder, and entrepreneur. It's Robert Esme. How are you doing today, Robert? Fantastic, Alex. Hopefully, I can rise to the challenge because you got a great title. There's a lot of expectation goes with it, so hopefully, I can handle it. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up. Um, born in Jamaica, uh, migrated to Canada. Um, I enjoy playing multiple sports, uh, back, uh, Taekwondo background. Uh, my mom did martial arts. My dad did martial arts. My sister did martial arts. <laughs> and I thought I was the black Bruce Lee. Woo! I had all the moves. I used to watch some of them old school Kung Fu. A lot of, I enjoy a lot of Shaolin Temple. Thought I was a ninja one time. Um, and, uh, overall, I, I was just fascinated, and especially Bruce Lee. When he when he punches, you hear that little snap at the end, right? That's speed. <laughs> someone, oh, that excites me to that when I kick and punch, they get a little snap at the end. But overall, um, I had a wonderful upbringing, um, and then uh, moved to Sudbury, um, Ontario. Uh, so I left Jamaica in April '84, plus 26 degree. I had my beautiful three piece suit on, nice big afro, and like my bald head now. You know, I look like Arnold uh, from different strokes back then. Little chubby cheek and cute and every everybody loved to pinch my cheeks. <laughs> uh, then I came to Canada and it was minus 26. No. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> I was like, where did they land me? What's going on? What's all this stuff here? Why is it so cold here? <laughs> right? And I'm like, where's the black people? There's no black people here. <laughs> right? But overall, it was a culture shock. Uh, but, you know, the people in the city. They open their arms with beautiful hearts and try to warm me up. Um, inside, it's warm, but outside, I'm still cold, even now. <laughs> but other than that, no, it was a wonderful upbringing. You talked about how your whole family got into martial arts. Was that kind of the goal? Was that everyone get involved in martial arts in some way? Or did you feel like you wish that you kind of didn't go in that route and tried something different? No, I enjoyed it. Um, I wanted everyone to be able to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. So it was the purpose is to defend yourself if you're ever in a situation um, and you need to protect yourself and protect your family. You should have at least some skills and they've called those are life skills. So, uh, but I end up becoming very good at it. I was skipping belts. I was focused. I was passionate because why? I wanted to be the next Bruce Lee. I didn't mm-hmm. see a black Bruce Lee out there. So I wanted to be like <laughs> Bruce Lee. <laughs> but I, I dabbled in other sports. Um, I tried swimming, didn't work. I, I couldn't float. Um, I, with the school team, the football team didn't win anything. And I'm like, how about you give me a hundred dollars for touchdown? The coach looked at me and said, are you an idiot? Get out of here. So <laughs> that didn't work out. A basketball, I had some raw talents. I was shooting half courts and the coach was like, are you crazy? What are you doing half court shots for? I'm like, I can make it. No, you're not shooting a half court. This is my team. I'm like, well, we can't get along. So it ain't going to work either. <laughs> and then I left and now look what happened. Steph Curry. Half good is a piece of cake. I could have been ahead of that, right? So yeah, I, I just had to find something that I could do individually, where I control the narrative, mm-hmm. and that's when the track and the passion grew for track. Was that always something that was in you, that kind of individuality, where you kind of wanted that control with anything you did, not just sports in specific, but in just life in general? I think so. Um, as I look back in the years and my personality and you know, 
I don't like people to hit me. So as a martial artist, I have to make sure I hit first, right? Mm -hmm. so, or protect them and then hit um, because I don't like certain things. And to be able to control that narrative, I have to be in control of it. So I guess it just gravitated towards, you know what? I'm going to have to find something that I can put the work in. I can't rely on someone's judge or someone liking me or not liking me. I don't want to be based and be judged on that ability. I want to be judged on my own personal ability and the hard work. Uh, and I can control a lot of those areas. So a uh, majority of the times what I do, I end up going in that direction. Unless I can find the right team that complement my personality, then we can have a great relationship and build things together. I like that concept of controlling, but people judging on what you can do. And I think that's yeah. so valuable because a lot of like, jobs or groups of friends they kind of get to get to know that real person and really yeah. know what are your strengths what are your weaknesses and work to adapt around that and you yeah. mentioned even like with a team setting how a team that fits your abilities your skill set that's how you work well and I think I utilize that now because I don't want people to judge me on what they think I can do judge me on what I can do and yeah. how I can do something amen <laughs> did, did you have anyone in your life that was a big motivator or an inspiration for you yeah um my my parents uh, especially my mom you know she works long hours um, a lot of sacrifices uh you know growing up in Sudbury um as a minority you have to do twice as much mm -hmm. right to be able to get a job done I know it's unfair out there, but that's that's the reality of the world. So those things and watching those and the mentorship allow me uh, to put that same work ethics in that nothing's going to be given to me. You're going to have to be the best at what you do. Yeah. And I remember before my father passed away, he's like, you know, my only advice to you is anything you're going to do, do the homework and be the best at it. Yeah. And that way you control your narrative. <laughs> Uh, and make sure you take care of your mom. That's my only request of you as a, before you leave the world. So I said, okay, dad, I'll try my best to live up to your expectations. <laughs> right. So um, with that same mindset, um, she she was the, the the ground, the foundation of of that. But I was lucky enough where I still had, um, even as a teenager, I had friends there in the twenties. I had friends in the fifties. 80s year old because a lot of their friends and peers came over and there's certain ones that I get along that sort of, you know, guide me. And I look at them as a mentor. And, and I love the fact that I had a different age gap <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to pick brains and get ideas from and to bounce things off of. And one of the things why I wanted to do that was um, I wanted to minimize a lot of mistakes. I see my friends or my, my sibling made along the way. And yep. the best way to do that is to learn from other people's mistakes and try not to make it. <laughs> yeah. So, right. So, um, and that's where these type of mentorship and guidance for those ages allow me to learn at different levels and sort of have a whole soul to me, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. So I was very blessed to have some of those along the way. With all the things that you've learned from your mentors or inspirations, um, kind of got guided um, messages, is there one that sticks out to you today that you utilize in your current life? Absolutely. Mr. Brown, um, I remember meeting this brilliant man who uh, he was about five, 50 years older than I am. And we were driving and having a good conversation. And 
he told me about this 5F system and it aligns with my views of my career and my life. And the first one was, he says, Robert, you know, um, you're a very spiritual person and the first F should be faith. Uh, reasons why is no matter what religions or whatever your spiritual belief may be, most people in this world has a faith and you have to be open-minded to listen to other people's faith. Not necessarily you may agree with certain things, but it's a starting point in the conversation of solving problems. So you must have sort of, sort of a faith um, that sets the base of your foundation. And the second one he says of that is the fear or in a sense, what is the motivational factor? When you do something, make sure um, the motivational factor, the fear may drive that motivation. It could be fear of losing, fear of uh, disappointing your parents, or whatever that motivational factor. You have to make sure that is strong because it's going to fuel of what you what you decide to do later on, yeah. right? And so the third one is very important you listen to me, son, because we need favors. It could mean... Uh, a word of encouragement it could mean um i need you know i can't i can't afford bus passes <laughs> can somebody help me with some bus passes right or i don't have food on my table could somebody buy me lunch or dinner right or i i need to get to a meet could somebody have, help me with a flight or whatever it is we need favors in our life to continue to develop your dreams so i said mm-hmm. quite deep and then i said the fourth one i wanted to realize is when you get all those threes in place, you need to be focused, right? So you must have that focus to be able to achieve what you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. And if you're not focused, Robert, I got bad news. You're going to end up in the fifth one, which is frustration. And um, and if you, 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 you get into that station where you're frustrated and things are not going right, you're ready to blame everybody and not take self-accountability. Right. But most of those times when in that situation, what's the first person thing the person says, Lord Jesus, please help me. They're going back to the faith. <laughs> so uh, that stayed with me forever. And I utilize that in all aspects of my life, the five F's. Sometimes we're asked that fun question What is that dream job? As you were growing up, what was that dream job for you? You know, I remember I wanted to do three things in my life. Um, and I wanted to be an Olympic champion. So that was one of them. The second one, I wanted to be a great parent. And the third one, I was a great business person. Uh, ever since I was a child, that was my three dreams. Um, I, I knew I was going to sacrifice uh, to make sure the first 25 years of my life was to attain that gold medal, which I was able to check that off the box. Thank Jesus. Uh, the second portion uh, 25 to 50, where am I? <laughs> I wanted to create a family, uh, which I've done that. And it's still overlapping as I wind into my next 25 and do some different businesses. So um, with that, I take certain jobs with the expectation, without the knowledge and expertise in that area. Mm-hmm. And I took the job uh, with my knowledge of background of track and field. And sort of I ran my own business as a child because track was my business. So I had to learn the marketing, the promotion, the knocking on doors, the sponsorship, the sales, all that stuff to generate uh, money for my, my sport. Um, so um, I took those jobs and knowing the fact that I'm going to learn from each job. I'm going to be taught how to do that job. And I want to be advanced very quickly. Right. But I always like to enjoy starting on the bottom floor because it gives me the base and the foundation I need. So when I'm looking ahead, said I want to be the president or the head of this department or whatever, 
I'm going to know it very quickly and make some good connections along the way yeah. and take people with me. <laughs> because I always feel like if you can make others around you better, it makes you better. <laughs> so empowering them. So I learned that at an early age. And then, um, and I think, you know, I knew my dream job would be somewhere within the facilitating um, educational um, giving back type of scenario. That would be my dream job. And it still is my dream job. Uh, as I get into my last of my 25 years, um, and everything that I do, always come back to educating, right? And helping yeah. and teaching. So um, I might end up in the educational space because um, I feel like I have something to give back to those area. But, and that's where we came in with critique as well is to continue that part of my process is I want to leave a legacy and educate people and they can learn in different aspects. Um, and that's where we fell in love with an informed critique a feedback platform to help others get better. And but you know, I'd like to do more motivational talks, workshops, educating. As long as it's in that space of facilitating educating, it's right to my deep to my core of my DNA. Talk about you mentioned the first 25 years, the goal was to be an Olympic champion. Talk about yeah. the grind to get to the Olympic stage. Uh the grind was tough. Uh I remember after certain practices, it's not fun. Um I crawled home. Uh, luckily, my mom, she knows I'm coming home and the bath is ready, absent salt, my hot chocolate, and she just leave me alone. Because sometimes you, you shouldn't be talking to certain athletes after a long day like that. Allow the emotional and the mental recovery to happen. And she's like, yeah, whenever you're ready, the food's in the oven's already. That's one thing. The food was always ready in my parrot dish, <laughs> ready to go and, and warm in the oven every time. And it's a big plate too, right? So, uh, and then word of encouragement. Um, I remember after each season, I have about four weeks off and then to start back up again in training and training camp. Those are never fun. Those are the times I wish I quit track and field because it, it's brutal. It, like you throw up and you, you're irritable and you're, yeah, yeah. You don't want to be fun to be around. <laughs> so I remember those areas and uh, sacrifices, no birthdays, no this. I can't go, you know, I like to party. I train hard. I party hard. Uh, and then certain of my parties that I like to enjoy, my, you know, my culture. Sometimes others want to smoke some weed. I can't be in that environment because it could get in my lungs as secondhand smoke and I might show up at a drug test. And you, I get drug tests a lot, <laughs> unannounced. So they need to know your whereabouts at all times. So you have to be make sure you're prepared for any unexpected phone calls or someone's knocking on your door and so let's go pee right now. <laughs> Yeah. So all those scenarios that you have to give up your your privacy and your space for those, um, you know, we lost some trust. Foundation was broken um, with some people that's close to you. Uh, you expect as family was supposed to be there, break your heart along the way. Um, you know, so you have to deal with that heartbreak and regroup. Um, so there's a uh, injuries where others. So there's a lot of obstacles that you have to go through. Uh, to, to attain your dreams. And I always tell people, dreams cost. Sometimes it costs money. Sometimes it costs you <laughs> psychologically, emotionally, physically. Um, but to, to get there, it will never be an easy road. But at least you know there's a road. Yeah. Right? And you have a plan. And um, be flexible and adaptable to pivot any given time to get back to that main goal. Um, but yes, uh, those are some of the, the sacrifices and commitment and 
dedication they got to put in and on the ground. When you finally made it to the Olympics, what was going through your mind? Like, what did that feeling feel like stepping out on the field or at the track the first time? So for me, um, I would say we'll talk, we went through all the dramas and it was announced that I was going to run the race. Um, I was blessed, felt humble, but also deep down I was pissed off as well because the stuff that I went through should have never happened that they put me through, right? So, but I had to put that on a shelf and be focused. So it took six years to work to get here to win a gold medal. Mm-hmm. Don't allow that to creep in into my mental state to, uh, for what I was here to do and the purpose I was here to, to create. And I remember when they talk about, you know, fame and, and stuff like that, they said it's 15 seconds fame or 15 minutes of fame. I never agreed to that number. And I remember I said, I'm going to erase it because numbers are meant to be erased. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. I can use a whiteout or a pencil or a pen <laughs> and just erase it. I said, I want at least a good 24 hours of faith, right? That's what I, I commit to myself. And how am I going to do that? And I decided I wanted to create something that's going to shape the world and is going to have people talking. I knew there's an audience of at least 6 billion people is going to watch. So how am I going to captivate those people? How am I going to show them the work that I've put together over those years, because they're only going to see the finished project, right? Yeah. Of the actual race. How are they going to see all of that at that moment? So I'm thinking this is like my Oscar, right? My mom flying in. She's in the stadium. Um, every, the surrounding, everything was ready to go. Everything that I envisioned is ready to go. Um, so I remember I was walking through the tunnel. And I had a dream the night before because I lost my father, my grandmother, a dear friend. So people that I really love, that cared about, passed away. And I didn't have an opportunity to dream about them. Um, and the night before, I dreamt about them. And they're like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm going to be in the stadium. All right? And I'm like, how are you going to be in the stadium? Y'all dead. All right? And the bomb went off in Atlanta. And then I got somebody knock on my door, woke me up. So I didn't get to finish that piece. So I'm like, how am I going to know they're there? So as I was going through the dugout, I think it was like 26 degrees. And my whole body froze. And I went, I felt like I was in Cerber. I felt like minus 26. Like I couldn't move. I don't know if you ever dreamed and you're trying to yell and it's not coming out and that type of stuff. It was crazy. I was like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, three people walked through my entire body. My temperature came back up and I'm like, oh, you're here. Okay, let's go have some fun. And that was it. It was showtime. I knew they were in the stadium. I knew everything that I planned is time to unveil to the world. So I stepped into the main stadium and I looked around. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. More than what I've imagined. This is like 60,000 people. That's times two eyeballs looking at me (laughs) and 6 billion people. All right. I'm very confident. And I told um, Peter Thompson was to take a photo of me uh, when I go to the start of the race because I'm going to unveil my hat, which got my hair cut. And I figured if you take a picture, I might get... 500 to 1,000 cameras, about 10,000 cameras rush me. All of a sudden, I'm on both jumbo screen. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And uh, people in the stadium was like, what the hell is on this kid's head? I can hear the chit-chat, right, the noise. As the camera is zooming in, 
started paneling in my head and everybody stayed quiet and then start reading it together. Relay blast off. I'm like, I did it. I did it. I did it. I did it. <laughs> but I said, oh my God, we got to win now. <laughs> right? I, I can't be bold coming out like this and we don't win. Right? I got to lock this baby in. And then there was the, I think the Ghana team. Um, they used an athlete before in the semi and they took him out and then there was an injury. They want to bring him back in. So that caused the whole race to be delayed by half an hour. <laughs> oh, wow. And then now, because you're warmed up, ready to go at a certain time, right? And now we have to wait half an hour to get going. So I'm putting my hand up every so often so my teammate knowing that we're on the same page. And I'm saying to myself, we're going to win. We will not lose. All the chatters that Carlos is the ninth gold medal in the U.S. have never lost the American race in the Olympics on American soil in history or whatever. I'm like, whatever. I'm like, listen, you got two Jamaicans, Trinidadian, a Haitian, and a backup Jamaican. We're good. Well, myself, three Jamaicans. We got this. (laughs) (laughs) They don't know how competitive we are. No matter what we do, we're competitive. Right? So um, I remember the starter says, gentlemen, on your mark, I put my father in the lane up ahead of me because I've never raised my father as a child and I I wanted to race him. And I guess it also gives me an opportunity to channel my energy and narrow in on one thing only, mm-hmm. right? And um, I was able to use my ears and lock off all the crowd. I didn't hear nobody after I, I zoned into that position. My job was to contribute and run the best leg that I could. On paper, I was not the fastest, but because I'm psychologically advanced, <laughs> mentally advanced and you know, competitively, I feel like we got this, we, right? I'm going to lock this down. And the way I'm thinking and the process that I put in place, uh, I feel like we, we can dominate. So I angled my blocks um, so that way I can come out of the block straight because it's, it's still an oval. But mm-hmm. if you notice, and you know, when you get off, I wanted to take a circle, take a piece of paper, and in every circle, there's always a straight line. You just have to turn it, turn it, turn it, turn it. But, you know, and I always feel like the quickest way to your destination is in a straight line. And so if I can tack the corner like a straight line and change up my angle of my upper body, I can execute and maximize the speed and the force coming out. And most of the other time, I, I thought, when you fire a gun, you'll hear bang, right? Which is the after fact, but the gun's already fired. <laughs> so if you tune into the click in the chamber of the gun you can hear it release so if I figured if I can catch that my competitor is going to react after that but I'm already gone right so all these things I'm thinking and I'm, and I'm thinking about the baton the baton's 12 inches right so if I hold the baton with the first three right and I give the baton the next three that leaves um, six more inches so that means three times six and 18 I've already saved this much amount of distance, and that's a lot of time in in yeah. athletic work, right? So all these things I'm thinking going in that I need to execute. And I remember um, everybody usually say stick. So stick is five letters. And I said, let's change it to high. High is two letters. So practice with me. I wanted to say stick real loud. Go ahead. Stick. I wanted to say high. Go ahead. High. Do you notice a difference in the two? No. All right, do it again. And I want you to feel the physical aspect and also the sound. 
uh, when you say it. So ready? One, two, three. Stick. Stick. High. High. You notice the difference in your breathing? A little quicker on the high. Do you notice the difference in the relaxation of the muscle? Yeah. Right? So stick takes up a lot of the diaphragm and pushing. Now you have seven, I, I call them other <laughs> competitors, probably trying to say the same thing. Stick! Now brings it to the movie Lost in Translation. You're going to lose things. You got 60,000 people screaming. You got seven other people saying the same stupid things. So we differentiate our stuff. Um, stick is five letters, high is two. I've just saved you three thousandths of a second on each. <laughs> Maybe X amount on the stick passing, and I save you some time leaving the blocks, right? So I figured if I put them all together, we should get a lead going on. So the starter, I remember, says, gentlemen, on your marks. I remember shaking my legs and everything. I make sure I put some baby oil on my muscles because I was the smallest, but on TV, I look bigger, 10 pounds bigger than <laughs> baby oil, right? And I'm figuring in my hometown, I have all the girls are watching. They're like, woo, 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 right? Oh, yeah, you got to create the illusion. I'm a little man, but I got to look big on TV, <laughs> right? So got into the blocks, load up the muscles, condense it. And the starter says, set. Everybody stood up in a set position. I came up last because I need to control the narrative. If I come up early, I'm going to have to wait longer. If I come up last, the camera is on me. And the starter has to wait on me. <laughs> right? I wait less. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. All planned out. Boom! The gun went. Came flying out the blocks, my friend. I'm focusing on passing my father after the first, I think, 20 meters into it. <sighs> Pull up on my dad. <sighs> I look ahead. I see Glenn right now. Take off. Matching my rhythm. I said, Hi! I continue sprinting. That's key. Continue sprinting. Because if I stop, when I said hi, he's gone. So I have to keep the momentum. Mm -hmm. Now I saw his hand go back, and I give it to him just like a FedEx delivery or UPS delivery. Safe package. He's gone down the backstretch. After I watch him halfway down, the crowd kicked him. I was like, whoa. <laughs> and then I start watching the rest on the jumbo screen. I saw him. When he went down, in my mind, it was like, and escalate because big muscles, boom, boom. This is like a transform. <laughs> and then I saw him gave it to Bruni. And I'm like, oh, come on, Bruni. And Bruni must understand is about 6'3, muscle 180, lean, French speaking, bonjour. He's loved by the <laughs> world, man. You know, got a little glass of wine, a little baby, and Bruni. You know, you're very James Bondish. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Love the guy, man. Boom, he comes flying around the back stretch. And then uh, his teeth were just gripping, like the wind is ripping his jaw, right? And he's got the lion tattoo on him and everything. On the back leg, ankle leg, we had Donovan Bailey, the world record holder. It was over, folks. I'm telling you, his legs was long. Remind me of a 50-foot stretch limousine when he's just unleashing it and gripping the, the track. 20 meters out, I saw him put his hand up in victory. I was like, we did it. I'm blast off, <laughs> right? And ever since that day, I'm like, it's not 15 seconds of fame. It's going to be a lifetime of fame. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, um, but it was wild. Um, everything that I envisioned up to that point, it executed with one exception. I thought I was going to get the gold medal in 100 meter because I predicted the world record six years before. That was the time that I was going to run, and I thought it was going to be me. So 
yes, I'm disappointed it's not me, but I'm also happy that another Canadian slash Jamaican did it. <laughs> but yeah. After that Olympics, did you feel that you had nothing left to accomplish or did you want to continue after the Olympics and still going and racing? Because that was in your blood. You're an athlete and athletes like to continue or they feel that was the end. They accomplished what they wanted to do. No, um, I changed up my goals and I wanted a world record in my name. Um, I, I was at the right age. I figured, okay, I need to gain another 10 more pounds because once again, I, I'm the smallest one there. The girls are bigger than I am, right? I was compact. I was like a golf ball. I was able to bounce, um, but I need that a little extra. Because when I leave the blocks, what I've realized through those years, every time I leave the blocks from zero to 30, I'm always at a world record pace. Mm-hmm. It's what happened after that. And that's the piece I wanted to figure out to, to, to lock that world record. In, <laughs> right? Yeah. And um, unfortunately, uh, we prepared for 2000 Olympics in Sydney. And that's where I wanted to break the world record. But I ended up with some injuries. Um, even 97, 97, I was on par to go hit it. I was ranked sixth in the world going in before I hurt my, myself. And uh, I was so devastated because every indication told me I probably could have been one of the first men to run 969. Because I was doing it, I was doing them in practice. Right, mm-hmm. I was running some unbelievable time in practice, and I needed a race to put it all together to show the rest of the world. So um, that was a heartbreak, and ever since then, always injury and injury. So to me, you know, um, I feel like maybe one day I will coach someone to break that world record. But I probably do a master race maybe uh, over the next five years and still have a world record in my name. <laughs> <laughs> but overall. I wanted to the big the big stage in my prime this time, um, but I'm I'm happy to be a coach and help someone break a world record. As an athlete who has been on the biggest stage of them all, what has it been that taught you the most about yourself? I think the biggest thing is the resilience um, and the ability to work hard right um and grind but also knowing the lessons that i learned from it is in the team aspect you can be a leader mm-hmm. but the ability to empower is even greater to, yep. and influence others to get better that way it allows you to even shine <laughs> more in a sense um so i've i've always surround myself to be in a situation, how can I make someone better and empower them? And that gives me the reward that I help this person to succeed into another level. Um, and I've, I've always, that's part of my DNA, right? Um, is that, yes, I've moved a lot of the spotlight away from myself because I've passed 20, 25 years, my first 25. I have to be more selfish to be able to accomplish what I needed. But now that I move after that 25, and especially in my 30s and onwards is how can I make someone else better and empower someone else to be better and it also allows me to continue to learn and grow and stay youthful in the game Um, so those are some of the life lessons that I've taken with me and that I've enjoyed so after your journey with track and field you talked about you still are in coaching and you created your own business which overall the theme of the 
conversation we've had is how you like to have that control, that individual aspect in things. Being an entrepreneur, did that continue that kind of mindset that you enjoy with creating your company and being involved in that way? Absolutely. You know, um, set up uh, Air Blast Off uh, sports training. So I wanted to help be a resource to athletes, school programs, clubs, um, be the middle person that understand the value of multi-sport mm-hmm. and to help them attain closer to their dreams. And we know in majority in majority of all sport, speed is a huge component of that. Yep. And a lot of the coaches don't have time to teach you speed, right? Because they're busy trying to put the team together and do other things. So I wanted to be that person to help people attain their dream. If they do track and field, great. But the purpose is not necessarily to be track and field to deal with all sport from long distance to short distance to agility and be that main person who can understand the biomechanics and help them attain their goals by conditioning it at speed, muscle endurance, speed endurance, flexibility, mindset, wrap that all up and then transfer and give them the tools to go fly and be a superstars in their love of sport. All right. So track becomes the, the base sport for that. And then we, I wanted to be able to say, how can I give this knowledge and expertise to people globally? And what I found out working with some of the sports and the kids is they don't have time to be giving personalized feedback to these athletes. They could have 20 or 30 people in a group and may be lucky enough that one or two athletes leave with some feedback <laughs> from that session. And I wanted to create an opportunity to, to solve that. Mm-hmm. And, and I started doing a, you know, I said, I know as a leader, I don't have a lot of expertise in certain areas. So I was fortunate that around my city, I have some of the best of the best in the business. So we partner up with Bernie um, and the tech side. He's built tech companies before and exit. Um, Nico, same thing. Um, built tech companies, they've exited. Um, Lisa, our COO, um, been in the financial space with big companies. Um, so overall, I figured let's put a team around me, a winning team who's got experience and knowledge, and I bring the customer passion and talent over <laughs> to combine if we all can come together for the common goal of helping people and giving feedback, we're in the right direction. And we wanted something powerful that we can leave as a legacy and our knowledge and expertise to help others. And that's how Critique was born and formed and we're planning to be the number one feedback platform globally within the next three years or less. Right. So I like the word less because <laughs> I'm a speed guy. We like to move quick. Yeah. But overall, uh, it's been phenomenal developing it. Everything is now ready to go. People are, are who has a good audience is now going to their own audience. We've seen multiple repeats with people coming back to learn. Um, we've got over 25 categories that works from business to chef to sports to resume writing to pitch decks to graphics, to podcasts, to journal, people want to learn. And I found that within the space, people don't, especially this generation, they don't want to read books anymore. They don't want to do the work that we we did. (laughs) They want to cut out all that piece and go straight to learning. So, and I've realized there's a lot of knowledge sitting around this world, you know, alive, not dead, because we know there's a lot of dead knowledge in the ground. But I want to use the one that's alive and feel like 
society don't find them valuable, but I find them valuable. Mm-hmm. Others find them valuable, but to give them an opportunity to share globally and, and yes, get paid to do what they love in the comfort of their home, right? Or in an Uber or whatever. Um, so that's why we designed it and test it out and work with other experts and say, hey, this is brilliant. And we've got um, t- um, Tim Martins, Trey Young's shooting coach, NBA. The man's busy, got clients all over the NBA. But he said this is perfect for him because he does have 15 minutes a, a week. Mm-hmm. But guess what? He can help four or five other athletes globally. <laughs> right? Yeah. And this athlete is like, oh, he's my, he's my coach too. I'm <laughs> Trey Young Jr. Right? So just that alone infect the whole world on a global level that this guy's coaching him. He's my coach. Or he's just telling me, oh, I'm doing a good job here. Or that means... I can continue doing the same thing correct or, oh, I didn't do this well. Imagine if I did that for 10,000 hours. Would have been wrong. I've been learning the wrong thing. So it can change the whole person's life just like that. And that's what we wanted to create. And I'm so excited about. So, yeah, um, check it out. If you need help in other areas, I know you're a podcast specialist as well, right? (laughs) Imagine if you know a lot now than you did back then when you started. You would minimize the mistakes. I've been always that kind of person where I want to learn every single second. Like, I don't know everything. And yeah. I think that's what's so great about the technology and being able to connect and network with so many people. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. You're taking experts and people and giving them a platform to help as many people as they can. And I think that's so powerful because you talked about the people nowadays are learning things differently than generations or decades ago. And you are keeping up with the time to fit the needs of what people like to do nowadays. Absolutely. And, you know, we're creating a wonderful marketplace. And it was, I'm telling you, it's, it, it was a challenging project to put together. A lot of people have tried and mm-hmm. failed, but, um, and it's not even close to what we did. They would only do one, one aspect of it. Hey, send me a video and we can talk about it. Like literally you go in, right? And the person upload the content and you break it down and you mm-hmm. go full screen and you introduce yourself and it's like you're having a relationship there. Yeah. Then you go back out and you're looking at what they're doing and they're going and break it down and says, okay, I'm going to give you a demonstration of what you should be doing and then wrap it up and give you feedback. There's nothing like that unheard of, a personalized critique of you, right? People are going to learn from YouTube. People are going to read a book still. And we still want them to do that. But the fact that it's about you, yeah, that's your personal investment, is how can I get better? How can I improve? What am I doing? Or why am I doing it right? Or a word of encouragement by someone who has done it, who's got the accolades and says, oh, this is brilliant. Imagine in the music industry, you know, you can't get Drake, but you got Drake producer. Yeah. And you do your one minute or two minute um, song. You can say the producer said, "Yo, DM me on the inside. I want to. I want to sign you now, right? <laughs> Before you blow up the potential. And it could, that person could be like in Africa somewhere in a little neighborhood that said, "Hey, I got a hundred dollars to spend. Let me upload it and see what happens." Yeah. And you get a, not only did you get a feedback, now you could potentially get a contract. <laughs> That's how powerful the platform is, right? So yeah, it, it's amazing what we've created and to knowing that. This has an opportunity to be the number one platform 
globally, when you think of feedback, you think of critique. Mm-hmm. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal, man. And just to see the testimonial. I remember one gentleman, he needed help with his resume. And I'm like, that's not my expertise. Go to critique. So he went to critique, uploaded his stuff. I think he spent $40 to review his resume. The person reviewed it, make some changes. And he's like, I've been out of the job for six months. I'm in a sales tech area and I, I, no job. So to correct some things, he went back and cleaned it up and sent it back out. He had six calls within two weeks, an wow. interview. And after that, he had, I had two offers uh, two weeks later, and he accepted a six-figure deal and has been working uh, four months now. <laughs> just wow. to see just a few little changes to that resume, right? It's amazing. And the ability to do any any content. Like now we built it where PDF, pictures, um, videos, audios, anything you can think of can be breaking down and critiquing some right back to you. Unheard of. Something we like to do with all of our guests is get to know the person a little bit more. As we've been on your journey, what does Robert like to do nowadays? If you're not working, you're not being an athlete, what do you like to do? I love music. Um, And, you know, we said the last part of my journey, and I'm in a transition with business and a father. Those were three of my things, Olympic goal, businessman and father um, is my vision and dream as a child. And I'm living the last two together. <laughs> and uh, when I'm not doing that, um, I definitely I enjoy music. It's played a role of my life as a child. It plays a role during the Olympics, having the right song list to set the mood and the swag and everything. And it's part of my mental recovery and enjoyment. So when I'm not doing all that stuff, you can find me in my house with my favorite people that I love. And we're playing dominoes. <laughs> and partying and DJing up and having a blast, right? Uh, and, and and good Sunday dinners. Uh, those are the things that really passionate and enjoyed that I kept throughout my life. So you, you can come to my house any Sunday. There's Sunday dinner happening at least every two weeks. There's a little boom, boom room downstairs where we get turned <laughs> up. Right? And uh, dominoes are slamming and trash talking happening. And the competitiveness on a different level. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, that's that's what keeps me balanced and sane these days. The final question I'll ask you, for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Follow my 5F um, system uh, and go after your dreams. It can happen anytime, anywhere. There's opportunities every day. Open your eyes, listen, be patient, and maximize that opportunity. Um, it's never too late to go after your dreams. Never, ever, ever too late, right? Um, and dreams come in all shapes, sizes, and colors, right? And if you need some help, I'm happy to help you. Log on to critique.com, and let's get to you better and, and go after your passions. Well, Robert, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people, and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. Um, I have a question to ask you. Did I pass the challenge? Did I did I do okay in the challenge? Oh, yeah. You continue to <laughs> rise to the challenge. Oh, thank you, my friend. I'm looking forward to uh, coming to your neighborhood one day and come and enjoy a nice meal with you, my friend. 
Tune in next time here my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel through the full length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.